everyone to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. It is love, books, and writing in the time of coronavirus. I hope that you are all well and healthy. And if you find yourself on lockdown with nothing to do, this show will always give you ideas for great writers and great books. Tonight, I am with best-selling author and award-winning author, Elaine Veets. Elaine and I go back quite a few years and have had a lot of fun conversations. We live opposite each other on the Florida coast, and um, we have a good time when we speak. I am thrilled to welcome back to Authors on the Air my friend, Elaine Veets. Hi, Elaine. Welcome back. Hi, Pam. Thanks for having me back. I'm so thrilled that you're here. I love it when you and I talk. Well, you always have something interesting to say, and I'm always happy to listen to you speak to me. So thank you. Oh, well, good. (laughs) So congratulations on the release of your new book, A Star is Dead. Now, this is part of the Angela Richmond Death Investigator series, correct? Correct. It's book number four. Wow. Really? Gee. Really? I, I can't believe it's been that many because, you know, I think when you and I first spoke, you were still writing cozy and just getting into mystery. So I'm really glad that you're at this level. Let's, I want you to first please give listeners a history of Angela Richmond because she's an interesting character, kind of based on some of your own experience, correct? Right. Uh, Angela Richmond is a death investigator, and what a death investigator is is a sort of paralegal uh, for the medical examiner. She's uh, She goes to crime scenes when there's not a, a pathologist available, and she's not a doctor, but she's trained to handle the body, and then the police are in charge of the scene itself. And Angela is based on part of me because uh, several years ago I had a series of six strokes and uh, brain surgery. And so uh, my character, Angela, had the same thing. Uh, May is stroke month, and what most people don't understand is that women are more likely to die of stroke than they are of breast cancer even though that's what we really fear. Um, And so I had these strokes, and so did my character, Angela, and I had a long period of recovery. It was, uh, well, I was in the hospital three months, and it was four years before I was really back. Uh, And so uh, my Angela had the same history. And uh, that was in the first book, Brainstorm, in which Mm -hmm. she has to solve the mystery of uh, who killed the doctor who misdiagnosed her. I was misdiagnosed the first time I went to the hospital. The doctor said that I was, the neurologist said I was too young and fit to have a stroke, uh, which is not true. I did not realize that. Um, I mean, I knew yeah. that you had the stroke, but I, I didn't realize that you were misdiagnosed. What did they think was wrong with you? I think he didn't say, but I think he thought that I had a brain tumor because he told me to come back next Wednesday 
for uh, an MRI, except in my case, Wednesday never came. Um, I had still had the headaches, and Tuesday night I said to my husband, I'm going to lie down, and I woke up 21 days later in the hospital after, after surgery and a coma. Elaine, how? Uh, what were your initial after effects of these six strokes? Because if you're in a coma, they're not mini strokes. They're not. We're not TIAs at all. These are actual brain attacks. Is what you had. I think that's what they're right. calling them now, right. aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Right. These were these were hemorrhagic strokes, and that's why I had the brain surgery. So and, you had blood clots in your brain. Right. And they don't know what caused it. Gary is all get out. And did you have a history of strokes in your family, by the way? No. I had no history of strokes. Um, I was a gym rat, so I worked out. I watched my diet. And, uh, you know, I, I had strokes anyway. Now, my neurologist, the good neurologist, the one who saved my life, the brain surgeon, he said that probably if I hadn't been so fit, I wouldn't have survived at all. So it took you all this time to get back to it. You were obviously not able to write after that for a while. No, I was not. But, you know, what really touched me, the mystery community, and you deal with a lot of mystery writers. Yes. Uh, I, my, my first hardcover was just coming out. And so I was supposed to leave on tour, and the mystery writers throughout the country held a tour by proxy for me. And they went to the bookstores, and they sold my books. You know, it's it's an amazing tribe, isn't it? It's an amazing tribe. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me cry to think of it, but they saved my career. Who went in your place to Murder by the Beach, our little favorite place to hang out at? I can't remember, but there were like two or three of them, and they went for me. I mean, and and they went everywhere. They went to bookstores coast to coast. That's amazing. I want to talk to you about the death investigators training course that you took. Before you – I'm assuming it's before you started writing – this particular series, the Angela Richmond series. Right. Um, it was at St. Louis University, and it was given by uh, their uh, uh, medical school, uh, the Department of Pathology, and it was a one-week course for forensic professionals. So I was in there with people who really do deal with this, uh, police officers, other death investigators, uh, uh, embalmers for funeral parlors, uh, a woman who had tracker dogs. They were all there. And, uh, you know, I am not a certified death investigator. I haven't taken that particular test, but I did take the test pass or fail, so I passed. But um, the course was amazing. Uh, it was eight hours a day. We looked at autopsies, uh, we, uh, uh, you know, causes of death, everything from gunshot wounds to uh, shaken baby syndrome. 
Mm. The worst part were the infant deaths. That was yes. a whole a whole morning devoted to that, and that was truly horrible. Um, I bet. But you know, the one thing I learned in the course is that if you see anyone who has a tattoo that says "Born to Lose," stay away. Um, really? Yeah. One of the pathologists has a photographic collection of tattoos. <laughs> And he has a lot of them that say "Born to Lose." These are people on his autopsy table, and I think the worst shot was a guy who had "Born to Lose" tattooed on his forehead, and right above it was a gunshot wound. Oh my God! You know something's not right with that. You know, there's. So I'm going to keep that in mind. If I see someone who's got a tat like that, I'm like. Moving into the next zip code. I don't want to be around yeah. like that. <laughs> Head in the other direction. <laughs> yeah. So when you were taking this course, was it when the idea was forming for Angela Richmond, or had you begun to write it and thought, I want to find out a little bit more? Where in the scheme of things was the class versus the book? Okay. Uh, one of my friends is a uh, pathologist, retired pathologist now with the St. Louis Police Department. And mm-hmm. he suggested if I was going to write mysteries that I should take this course. And so he cleared the groundwork so I could get in. And I was fascinated by this profession. Um, it's relatively new. It was started in 1978 because there was a shortage of pathologists. Right. And, uh, so that's when they decided that they would use non-doctors to do this. And uh, they designed this course, and it's now nationwide. Uh, and so they have death investigators in Illinois and Texas and Florida. And uh, it's I'm just I'm fascinated by this. And one of the things they, they taught us several things, most important, is respect for the dead. Um, yeah, you know when you see when you see movies and TVs, people are joking. They're calling the dead person a crispy critter. You don't right. do that. Right. Um, and uh, you know the other thing they taught us was that the dead speak, and if you can get past the "oh my god" reflex, um, right, you can find out what they're saying. Interesting. Have you ever had um, the opportunity to ride along with um, a death investigator or a police at a homicide scene? Uh, No, I have talked with a lot of police, but I've never been to an actual homicide scene. Yeah, I I was a victim advocate for a couple of police departments in Miami and for the state attorney's office, and those are not fun scenes to go around, I will tell you that. It's a very mm-hmm. difficult. I I mean, I didn't go and view the body or anything, but I was on scene for the for victims that were there, so it's it's not pleasant at all, I will tell you. But um so so did the Interest in death investigation came before the book, and then you, it spurred you to create the character? Yes, it did. And from what I can tell, there are no other series featuring a death investigator. I've but never it, heard of one, yeah. I, and I read it, a lot, so, yeah. 
it struck me as as you know a, a new way to write about crime. Um, you know, there are plenty of uh, people who have you know the police officer with the uh, the bitter divorce, and you know those are sure. good. But I couldn't write that, and and this seemed like a different way to uh, talk about crime. And it's a fascinating series. Now, uh, you know, as you know, I've read all your books, and I love them. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Brainstorm, just to kind of ease our way in until we get to A Star is Dead. Will you give us the premise of that book, please? Okay. The premise of the book is that my death investigator, uh, Angela Richmond, at 41, she has a stroke, and uh, she's misdiagnosed, and while she's she's saved by a brain surgeon um, who is really good, and he's based on the man who saved me. And mm-hmm. uh, what happened was when I got to the hospital, they I was unconscious, and uh, the ER doctor told my husband I'd be dead by morning. Oh. And... Uh, Don said, what do I do? And the doctor said, there's coffee in the lounge, and walked away. Uh, you but the really? Brain, the, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But the, the brain surgeon on call said to Don, I think I can save her. And Don said, she won't be happy if she can't write. And he said, I can't make any promises except that I think I can save her. So he did, and uh, he put me in an induced coma, uh, uh, and that was to help me recover. But, you know, I love the man. He saved my life, but his bedside manner sucked. And, <laughs> this is better than the ER doc, let's face it. Well, maybe. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, no. You've got a story. Yes. He came in one night and he said to me, um, uh, did any of the nurses, uh, did, did you hear anything when you were in a coma? And I said, no. And he said, oh, good. And I said, why? <laughs> no. And he said, He said, because I used to come in every night and go, Elaine, this is God, wake up. (laughs) And the nurses made me stop. (laughs) Oh, you're kidding me. It's funny when you look back on it, though. (laughs) It is funny. And then he came in another night and he goes, "Uh, you know, my wife is divorcing me. And I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And he said, well, it's okay. She was a Boca babe. She liked to shop. And I didn't make enough money for her. I only got $3,000 for you. Um, And then he goes, he says, but really, it's okay. You know, she, she just, she wasn't any good in bed. She just laid there like you did, except you were in a coma. You're kidding no. me. No. Oh, my goodness there. gracious. Has he retired yet, I hope? <laughs> no, no, he's alive and well. And, no, but there is hey, nothing, you know, I am open-mouthed. I cannot say a word to that. And later on, when yeah. my brain was functioning, I thought, did it ever occur to you, buddy, that maybe it was your fault she wasn't having a good time? Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. Oh my God, that is too, I mean, how odd. 
So did you put this story into Angela's story by any oh, chance? Yeah. It's all okay. in there. Oh, good. I mean, oh, good. how could you not put that in a book? Well, you know, I, I tell everyone, you know, you have to live in South Florida to understand why you don't go far to find ideas for stories. Um, you know, <laughs> you just, you, right. you pick up the, the Sun Sentinel or the Miami Herald and, you know, you've got, you've got plenty of inspiration right there. And, and again, being a patient in, in South Florida, you know, you, you get all kinds. It's true. They all find their way to Florida for sure. They do. Um, it's 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 making California look sane. <laughs> I, I know, right? It's true. So, I, and of course, everybody north of uh, Gainesville has no idea what goes on down here. It's like that. We're we are geographically the South, but it's only until you go to North Florida that you're actually in the South. Correct? Right. North Florida <laughs> is an extension of Georgia. It is, and Alabama. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so you know you um you were also a host of a radio show. Right. So um and you have a great voice for radio so it doesn't surprise me. Um who did you you're also a guest on Mythbusters or were a guest on Mythbusters occasionally, weren't you? Yes, one time. And uh I I looked I have to say this, I looked really good. I had this uh I had my makeup professionally done and my hair, and you know, so I, with a hundred and ten dollars worth of paint on me, I look spectacular. Oh, there and you go. So, so <laughs> I'm in the hospital with the stroke, right? And they uh-huh. rerun the myth, the MythBusters episode that I was on. Now I have had this horrible operation. My face is swollen like a pumpkin, and right. my head is shaved. And I say to the nurse, see, that's me on Mythbusters. And she goes, right, honey. Yes, Sit yeah. down. <laughs> I said, no, it's really me. And she said, right, your husband will be here in a little bit. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God, that's a great story. <laughs> Excuse me. That's so funny. So you also did a stint with um, our, our mutual friend, Jeff Lindsay, who, for the, those of you who don't remember, he wrote the Dexter stories. You're on NPR with him. Um, that yeah. must have been a lot of fun. Jeff is a riot, isn't he? Jeff is a riot, and his books are brilliant. Uh, yes, they are. And did you read the most just... recent one, his, his, uh, his caper book? No, I have to get it. I mean, I'm in lockdown. I'm reading everything, including the telephone book. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. He is, it's really a, it's so totally different from anything he's done. Um, it's called Just Watch Me, and it is a caper book that is so thrilling. I loved it. I loved it. So um, uh, you have to get that. It's fun. Let's talk about. A Star is Dead. This is um, book number three or four, you said, in um, four. the Angela mm-hmm. four, in Angela Richmond. Um, let's talk about the Hollywood diva who becomes the um, dead character that Angela has to investigate. Yes. I was a newspaper reporter for many years, and uh, I was a feature writer, and I interviewed a lot of these divas. And they would. I lived in St. Louis, 
and they would come through town with their entourages. And some of them were very nice. You know, they were old-school goddesses, and Mm -hmm. others were mean as hell. And so my my character is sort of a composite of these mean divas that I had to deal with. And uh, I had a good time killing her off. I bet you did. <laughs> okay, so writing mysteries is is really therapeutic. It, it is, <laughs> and you can get your your revenge, which is uh, best served on a piece of paper, bound yes. bound into a book, right? So, right. Um, so she collapses at an after party, an after show party, where she's just finished humiliating um, some women. What happens then? Well, she collapses at the party, and she has a terrible cold. She's in St. Louis. It's January. She's from L.A. She's taken to the local hospital, and uh, she has pneumonia, and the doctor wants her to stay a couple of days. And she insists, her name is Jessica Gray, and she's a diva, and she insists on going back to L.A., and so she gets into, she signs out against the doctor's orders, and uh, her entourage goes with her. She gets in the limo. She also has uh, a local hairdresser to do her hair, and so they're all working on her, doing her hair and makeup, trying to make her look alive when she's really sick. And suddenly she takes her throat spray and she becomes violently ill. She She's thrashing around in the limo, and uh, she winds up dying before they can get her back to the hospital. So she's been poisoned, but they're not sure what poisoned her, and they're not or sure who? where the poison is or who. So right. this is sort of a locked limo mystery. She is There's four like people her. in the limo, right. Wow, it's kind of like, you know, death in the age of coronavirus when you were, everybody's in lockdown and somehow there's a a homicide in the most likely place, uh, unlikely place. So it is a fun book. I've read the book. I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, Will you be writing another Angela book or will you be branching out and trying something different? I just turned in the next Angela Oh, fabulous. I know that it's you called, like trying. It's called Death Grip, and uh, it's gone oh, off to my editor, and I'm waiting for her letter, which I hope will tell me how perfect it is, but I have the awful feeling she'll want revisions. <laughs> Isn't that just how and, it works? Uh, yeah. And also, I am working on a on another book, uh, a comedy, which uh, I'm not sure when I'll finish that, but I'm, I'm sort of doing that on the side. So, you know, really? I'm in lockdown, and yeah, and uh, I'm in lockdown, so I've got plenty of time to write. You know, do you find it stifling to be in lockdown? Are you are you okay with that? Because even though I, you know, I work from home anyway, I have a virtual studio, and so I'm I'm pretty much here anyway. I still find it difficult not to be able to go out and, and see my friends and you know go to lunch or whatever are you struggling with that as well i'm struggling with it but not so much um 
you know, I would I would love to go out to lunch with my friends. I really, right. really miss that, you know. Yeah. Sitting around drinking wine, giggling. Um right. and, and going to a restaurant. I miss that more than anything. Um but right now it's not possible. And no, it isn't. Yeah. And so with some of my friends we, we, we have a happy hour on Zoom. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. That's but, that's a great uh, idea. You know, but I you know, I I really miss just going out and talking for a couple of hours and sitting at the table by the water and that's I, I yep. really that's what I miss most in lockdown. There it is. Whose book are you reading now? I've just finished a book by a woman named Carolyn Kuntz, and it's called, um, what is it? I've got it right here. It's it's called uh, Before She Was Helen. And what type of a story is it? It's a mystery, and uh, it's set, uh, part of it is set in the 1950s, and it's about this uh, 70-year-old Latin teacher who lives in something like Sun City. And mm-hmm. she's totally anonymous. And her uh, observations on life in Sun City are just hilarious. And she is on the run. And so she's deliberately trying to stay anonymous because of a crime that was committed years and years ago. And the author is Carolyn Cooney, and it's C-O-O-N-E-Y, and it's called Before She Was Helen, and I really, really recommend it. And then I finished uh, Charlene Harris's new series. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. She's wonderful. A Longer Fall. And she's a lot of fun too. to talk to. She's just a yes, lot of fun to is. talk to. When you when you listen to that southern twang of hers, it's just so unexpected. But um, <laughs> yes. but she's really very funny though. She's really very funny. She is hilarious, and I knew her before she was really a big deal. And uh, the two of us shared a room at a book event because we didn't have ninety dollars for a hotel room. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! How many but books she, have you written now, Elaine? Um, I just turned in book number 34. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of writing. Was it a it natural is. flow for you from journalism to all the other endeavors you've had to go ahead and start writing fiction? Did it feel natural to you? It felt natural, but it also felt odd because – as a reporter, I was taught to cut my words. And sure. As a as a writer, you're allowed to give opinions and keep it longer. And you know, of course, I like to give opinions. So. Sure. <laughs> it, but it took me a long time to understand the difference between writing a novel with interesting ideas and getting on a soapbox. And sure. so I had to learn had to learn to cut the soapbox, but yes, it was a, a natural progression, and uh, I consider myself privileged to have a job that I really enjoy. Me too, and I'm gl- and you can tell you enjoy yours. It's so funny because I think being a journalist first makes you cautious of, like you were saying, getting on a soapbox. 
because you have to do the who, what, when, where, and how all in your first paragraph when you're a journalist. Mm -hmm. You know, you're only given a, a short amount of column inches to go ahead and fill the space and to tell the whole story. Yet you have three or 400 pages of fiction that you don't want to just keep going on and on and on. You have to always move the action forward, whether it's in the narrative or the dialogue or emotionally, mentally, whatever it is. So, but I would think that you would automatically be reserved in, in, in what you do and then you have to go back and fluff it up a little bit. But for you, it was the um, opposite. I do. And, uh, you know, at, at first, it takes me a while to get into a story when I write it. And mm -hmm. so my first couple of chapters are short. And then I start developing. Uh, it, it, suddenly it, it, it kicks in. And uh, they, they become longer. And, uh, you know, I, I really like telling the stories. And so I get all wrapped up in the story. And... Uh, my husband is the most patient man on earth because when I'm busy writing, I live in my own world and, you know, kind of I'm say sure. hi. <laughs> <laughs> and see you later. <laughs> I'm off. Right. I'm off to the writing cave. There you go. Oh, my goodness. Elaine, will you tell everyone where they can find you on the web and social medias, please? Sure. Um, I am, it's elaineveets.com, and that's V like in Victor, and that's my website. Uh, you can buy my books on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and, uh, you know, and you can get them in bookstores, too. And my social media, Twitter, is uh, EV Mystery Writer, and uh, that's about it. Uh, oh, Facebook is Elaine Veets Mystery Writer. And so please stop by. I'd like to hear from you. Friends and listeners, this is a best-selling author and award-winning author, which I should have met. She's won the Anthony, the Agatha, and Lefty Awards. Um, she is a very sought-after speaker. She's so much fun to listen to, um, not only at her book signings, but at conferences and other events. I hope you go and check her out. The book is called A Star is Dead. It is the Angela Richmond book number four. Uh, start at the beginning of the series. You're going to love it. Elaine, I wish you and your husband all the best. Stay healthy and um, come back and maybe guest host one day, huh? I would love it. Thanks for thanks for having me on your show, Pam. It's been such a joy to speak to you again. Stay healthy, and you and I will talk soon. Listeners, thank you for being with me, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see ya. <laughs>